Welcome to Literary Anything, our Marian Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jane. I'm Paula. Welcome to August. Yeah, and we're here. We thought maybe we wouldn't be again. I know. <laughs> we were all prepped to potentially record from home and thank goodness we didn't have to do that. Yes, so our seven-day lockdown stayed a seven-day lockdown in Adelaide and we're back. We're back. Back in business, which yes. is great. Yeah. And this month we read After Story by Larissa Berent. Shall I read the blurb on the back? Please. Sure. When Indigenous lawyer Jasmine decides to take her mother Della on a tour of England's most revered literary sites, Jasmine hopes it will bring them closer together and help them reconcile the past. 25 years earlier, the disappearance of Jasmine's older sister devastated their tight-knit community. This tragedy returns to haunt Jasmine and Della when another child mysteriously goes missing on Hampstead Heath. As Jasmine immerses herself in the world of her literary idols, including Jane Austen, the Bronte sisters and Virginia Woolf, Della is inspired to rediscover the wisdom of her own culture and storytelling. But sometimes the stories that are not told can be become too great to bear. And I think I do want to mention that this story has abuse and violence mm-hmm. against, well, particularly children that yeah. I wasn't prepared for. So if yes, that... nor uh, was I. Yeah. And so if that um, is going to be too much yeah. for you, then I would skip got, this one. It got much heavier than what I was anticipating. It sounds fairly light mm. and easygoing, but there's some pretty heavy going themes in this book. We've been looking forward to reading this since, what, like March or something? Mm. For ages. We had this on our August list. It only just came out last month. Yeah. Um, and it's a gorgeous looking book. It is. It's beautiful. It's a great cover. Yeah. Shall I talk a little bit about Larissa Barant? Please. Okay, so Larissa was born in Cooma in New South Wales. I believe she is a Camilla Roy woman. She, now, wait till you get to the end of these, this list of qualifications mm. that she has. It's insane. Bachelor of Jurisprudence and Bachelor of Laws degree from the University of New South Wales. She's admitted to the Supreme Court of New South Wales to practice as a solicitor in the 90s. After working family law and legal aid, she travelled on a scholarship to the US where she completed a Master of Law at Harvard in 1994. Brent was the first Indigenous Australian to graduate from Harvard Law School, which is a pretty awesome accomplishment. She also earned a graduate diploma in screenwriting, a graduate diploma in documentary and is a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. My gosh. I know. <laughs> no. As of 2020, she's a professor of law and director of research and academic programs at the Jambana Institute for Indigenous Education and Research at the University of Technology in Sydney and holds the inaugural chair in Indigenous Research. She's also the host of Speaking Out on ABC radio I have not heard that radio show but I don't listen to radio very much right so that's not surprising I don't know that she's also a fellow of the Academy of Social Sciences in Australia and a foundation fellow of the Australian Academy of Law she's written quite a number of books mostly non-fiction a number of them are law text books but she's also written three novels so Home, Legacy and After Story of course now I haven't read Home or Legacy this is my first novel by Larissa. Same. Yeah. Goodness, when does she have time to sleep? And how old is she? Uh, I think she's in her 50s. Oh, okay. Maybe I late she was 50s. Younger. Right. I think. Don't quote me on right. that. Even though it's committed to podcasts. So a very, a very decorated, high-achieving 
woman. Right. I, Amazing stuff. I feel like I want to say right up front, spoilers, whatever. Yeah. I loved this book. Yeah. And I'm so glad we read it. Yeah. <laughs> I went into this knowing that we would like this. Mm. And lots of people here have read it as well. And they've also, which this is the thing when we read we all talk about books a lot, obviously, mm. and sometimes people will read, will read the book that we're currently reading for the podcast and they'll talk to us about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're always like, don't talk to yeah, us. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's like, I love it so much. I'm so enjoying it. I'm like, please, stop. <laughs> don't say anything. I don't want to be influenced yeah. either way. Yeah. Uh, but everyone, no one's not loved this book. Yeah. 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 I I was curious. I mean, we'll get into the story in a second, but I was really curious to see how this novel was going to work. Mm. The dichotomy of the colonial history in England, the very celebrated Western literature against the lived experiences of and history of the Aboriginal people. I wasn't sure how that was going to mesh together. Right. And don't you think she just did a brilliant job of doing exactly that? So much so that you don't even really notice it. That's right. It didn't feel like you were, you know, putting a square peg in a round hole or anything. It wasn't arduous at all. It was delivered in such an enjoyable and easy way. Yeah. So let's talk about it. So this novel is written from two perspectives. So the mother, Della, and the daughter, Jasmine. And so I'm immediately on board with this narrative style because there's no, my pet peeve, what writers call head hopping, because you get Della's and then Jasmine's POVs and it's all very nice and um, clean yes, and yeah. brilliantly. And it starts with a prologue, which is in italics from Della about the night that her eldest daughter, Brittany, goes missing. So she and her husband, Jimmy, live apart and they have three daughters, Brittany, Leanne and Jazzy. So Brittany is nine and I think Leanne's six and then Jazzy's three. And there's a party and Della has been drinking and she goes to bed in the same bed with all three of her daughters, which is a usual occurrence for them. And when she wakes up, she can't find Brittany. And she's not immediately concerned because where they live, it's all very communal and the dad's place is really close by and she could easily be there. But as time goes on, she becomes increasingly worried and getting this this impending sense of doom because she can't find her. And eventually they go to the police and then nothing is ever the same after that. And I found it was a really powerful prologue that just immediately throws you into the story. I think so too. You immediately know that there is trauma in this family. Yes. Based on that just one thing. Even, yeah, just that one thing. Then you find out so much more. Yeah. So the prologue is in the past, but then the story begins in present day when Jazzy, who is now insisting on being called Jasmine, is a young woman and despite a bit of a rocky relationship with her mom, Della, has invited her to go on this literary tour around England. And again, I loved the orderly way this book was presented. And I mentioned the POV, but did you notice the map at the front Mm. of the book? We've talked about this before. We both love a map. (laughs) Love a map. Love a map. (laughs) But particularly (laughs) this one, there is a map of the tour around England Mm. that they go on with the little icons that represent each place that they're visiting. So, for example, London is depicted with the London Bridge. And then each chapter is a day of their 10-day tour split between Della's and Jasmine's point of view. And then the icon from where they are 
begins each day. Mm -hmm. So for example, their first two days are in London. So those two chapters begin with the little icon of the London Bridge. And I just found that a really lovely way of being able to stay on top of where they are. And then you could look ahead and see where they're going next. Because we we were just saying before, this is a fairly complex book in regards to some storyline and some themes. So taking that burden off of the reader Mm. is lovely yeah and allows you to focus yeah so cute and I would often refer back to it yeah just to see oh yeah that's yeah they've been there and that's where they're going yeah so mother and daughter are on this tour with a cast of characters who and their tour leader is Lionel and Lionel's a bit beleaguered by the diverse range of opinions and personalities in this group, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Including particularly a pompous and slightly misogynistic older professor and his meek wife and then an older woman who teaches women's studies at a university and her younger female partner both of whom jasmine fairly quickly befriends and so those sort of differing characters sort of Mm. butt heads quite often throughout the tour yeah and i i liked that because it provided a almost a commentary on the ways in which literature has been celebrated over the years and particularly between from the male and female perspective and the male voice versus the women's the woman's voice over history. Yes. I it gave it having those that those cast of characters really opened up that conversation without it being too arduous and in your face. Yeah, Does that make it sense? seemed very organic. Yeah. And I'm going to be upfront and say that my lack of knowledge of classic British literature I thought would maybe hinder my mm. understanding or enjoyment of this book, but it really doesn't. I mean, we all know that Paula and I are not, you know, <laughs> experts <laughs> in those sorts of classic literature. Even someone here who had read it, she said, oh, do you really enjoy the classics, do you? And I was like, no, <laughs> not really. I've not really read that many. And she made this and she goes, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, maybe this is not going to work then for me. But right. It was fine. It was you fine. You do not need to have read the entire works of Shakespeare to get this book that's right so please don't be put off by that if that's Mm. what you're thinking and Della kind of acts as a stand-in in a way for anyone who is not very well read in that department as it becomes apparent that school wasn't a top priority for her as a mm. young person for reasons that um, will be revealed while Jasmine focuses on school as a way to distance herself from her roots and her family and eventually studies law and so as they go around to each of the tour spots which focus on the writers associated with those areas Della begins to think back to her family including people who have now passed and you get this juxtaposition, as Jane mentioned, of the classic literature with like the Dreamtime stories mm. that her Auntie Elaine in particular used to tell her. And I'm sadly ignorant of a lot of Australian Aboriginal culture, but that's really something that I want to remedy going forward. And books like this, I feel like, are a fantastic starting point. Absolutely. And so there are a few stories going on at the same time. So I'll just mention Mm. some of them here. So one is, of course, Brittany. So at first I thought that they didn't know what happened to Brittany. But as you read the story, you realize it's revealed what does. Yeah, yeah, what's happened to her. And we'll talk about that. Also, Della is grieving her children's father, Jimmy, who died. Was it about like 18 months, did they say, before the tour? Like not that long before they go on embark on this tour. 
And she, as I mentioned, she wasn't together with him, but she still had this deep and abiding love for him. And as she reflects on their history and what brought them together, that is revealed. And then there's Jasmine is counsel for a young girl who murders an innocent man by stabbing him repeatedly with a pair of scissors. And Jasmine reflects on this young girl's history of abuse. She had an abusive mother and her life in the system that failed her and how that impacted her mental health and eventually the crime that she committed. And then, as mentioned in the blurb, there's a young girl called Shona who goes missing near Hampstead Heath while they're on their tour. So that's happening in real time. They're finding out what's happened to her. And of course, that brings back all these memories Mm -hmm. of Brittany. And the author just beautifully reveals all of these stories against the backdrop of the tour. When you list it off like that, it sounds incredibly complicated to keep your head around where the story's at. Mm. But you're right, it was beautifully intertwined with their tour and their holiday, past, present and all these external events that were happening parallel to them. It was... It was so easy to read. Yeah, I know. As I was writing, yeah, Mm. exactly. uh, Again, I've said on the podcast before, easy reading is damn hard writing. I think it's Nathaniel Hawthorne quote. But that is really what this book is. Because, yeah, as I was writing my notes for this episode, I was like, wow, there is a lot that happens. And it doesn't feel like that when you're reading Mm. it. It's all, yeah, really intertwined well. When we get to it, I've got a few little, a little list, a dot-pointed list of um, the themes that I identified throughout the story as well it's not really plot points but there's Mm. you know there's layers of plot as well as the underlying themes of the whole story as well it's very it's very complex yeah as you were reading off all of the author's accomplishments Mm. I was like oh yeah okay (laughs) this is a person who knows what they're doing so what you find out about Brittany is that it turns out that Della invited the person who ends up kidnapping and eventually murdering Brittany to the party because he was dealing her drugs. And she takes the girls to Jimmy's to have him look after them, and he refuses. So she has the party anyway and just says to everyone, no drugs because the girls are here. And he drugs Della, this the murderer, and takes Brittany and and kills her and then she's found uh, how long later is it i can't remember eight eight months i think it was something like that yeah Mm. and of course the authorities first of all don't take her seriously they say even though she's only nine they say Mm. oh she's gone walkabout and then Mm. they find that totally offensive because what do they know about that Mm. and she's so young and of course then they're looking at the parents as so often is the case because sometimes it is the parents but of course sadly eventually they realize that that is what's happened to Della. And that is juxtaposed against Shona in Mm. present day. But what happens with Shona, they find out, is that it is her parents and that the father killed her and then the mother conspired to cover Mm. up the crime by saying that it was, they saw a man wearing a white hoodie. In a van. In a van near Hampstead Heath. And Mm. none of it is true. And as 
they are going on this tour and all of this is bringing up all these memories for Della. And Della is an alcoholic, so she's struggling with her alcoholism throughout this tour as well. And a couple of times she goes missing because she is dealing with all of these feelings and drinking and then Jasmine's got to go run to find her. And what Jasmine finds out about her mother is that Della's father was abusive mm-hmm. to her and was um, molesting her and, and her sister. And her sister, mm-hmm. yeah. And none of them, neither of them, well, they only acknowledged it once. And then Della eventually couldn't take it. And at 15, she leaves. And that's when she encounters Jimmy. And Jimmy and Jimmy's family take her in. And she ends up having their three daughters. And the abuse was something that Jasmine didn't know. And she hadn't really questioned why she hadn't been involved with her mother's grandparents. And it was a revelation to her and something that helped her understand why her mother wasn't able to be there for her, maybe in quite the way that she and her sisters wanted or needed. And she always assumed that it was because of what happened to Brittany. But she realizes uh, through the story that it wasn't only that and there were other struggles that her mother had. So like we both said at the beginning, the depth of this book surprised me a little bit. I thought it would be a bit more of a fun traipse around England with, you know, maybe some comparative parts about our Australian Aboriginal history and, you know, historical literature from England, blah, blah. And, you know, there was a cute little map and mm. I was like, oh, this is going to be nice. It was very, yeah, it was pretty heavy going. There's yeah, some and moments in here where I felt really, just really sad. I cried twice in yeah. this book. Once was when Jimmy dies and mm. Della says now he can be with Brittany. Yeah. Yep, cried. Yeah. And then I cried at the end. So did I. <laughs> I cried at the end too. That was really sad. Because what Della does is what th- they decide that they're going to memorialize their Auntie Elaine's stories and all of them are going to come together and this is a a family that's been fractured but you get the idea that they're going to come it doesn't happen but you get the idea that in the future they're going to come together by creating this book of auntie elaine's stories which is i'm getting chills thinking about it because Mm. it's just so beautiful yeah it's such a beautiful way of healing and bringing the family together it's a cathartic vibe to the end of the story which i really liked yes because della ends up writing letters to her sister and then her daughter leanne who was quite upset with her because Mm. of uh, the way she behaved at jimmy's funeral she ended up i think did she shove one of the sisters yeah she She was was drunk drunk and she had a fight essentially yeah Yeah. and so she writes an apology letter to Leanne and then she writes a letter to Kiki her sister and sort of touches on the abuse that they suffered and then she writes one to Jasmine yeah and then the final one she writes to Brittany that was yeah I had a little tear then Mm. yeah so there's a lot of themes throughout this book some that I identified there's a strong theme throughout about who decides who can tell our stories yes not just our Indigenous Australian stories, but probably even more so, you know, the historical, and I guess this is why Professor, was it Professor Finn? Yes. Was such an integral part of the storyline because he really was that old school, you know, oh, Keats was, you know, the be all and end all, but then was very dismissive of dismissive Virginia Woolf, of, for example. Exactly, or mm. Jane Austen or, yes. or whatever, even though 
they're telling stories from a different perspective, but those perspectives are uh, not appreciated or, or valued. valued. And again, yeah, the absence of women and their experiences in Western historical retellings. Mm. There's some nice sections in here about how important women are in Aboriginal culture and to the retelling of stories. You know, Auntie Elaine is, you know, an Aboriginal elder who I think at one point Della says she's the most senior woman in, in the community. Town. Yeah. yeah. So she was the one that held all the stories and was revered for being an important elder mm. whereas we don't have that experience in that sort of English colonial historical perspective that's right from a female that's right matriarch sort yeah of, yeah again who records our stories is it more valid because it's written down or is it just as valid because it is a spoken story that's right. been passed down through thousands of Years of tens know, of thousands, yeah. Of, yeah, and part of the, and the, that's part of the reason why they decide they want to write down Auntie yeah. Elaine's stories yeah. so they don't lose them. That's right. The injustices, of course, about how Aboriginal people have been treated in Australia, intergenerational trauma, yes, and the long term effects of grief and trauma on everyone in the community and the family. And then for Jasmine in particular, being bound by societal expectations, you know, of her probably her generation as a young woman but also as an aboriginal woman jasmine's sister points out to jasmine that it seems that she's ashamed of her heritage and so through this jasmine's struggling with that as well and again recording auntie elaine's stories i think is something for jasmine to coming back to Mm. appreciating where she's come from so they're the ones that i picked up throughout. And didn't you find it interesting that those themes that you mentioned are in several of the books that we've read for the podcast? Yeah. So of course, Year of Wonders, they talk about the plague a bit at the beginning, Mm. too much lip, obviously, the intergenerational trauma and the Aboriginal um, history, and Dark Emu. Mm. A lot of the things they talk about made me think of Dark Emu. Yeah. And then Hamnet, because of when they went to Stratford, thank you, Stratford-upon-Avon, and talk about Shakespeare. I wrote down as well, mentioned Dark Emu. I felt very keenly when we read Dark Emu last year that we missed out on enjoying, experiencing and understanding the very rich and interesting history of our own country. And I guess the, the Dreamtime stories, the historical figures, the sacred sites you know, highlighted the very Western and white and often very male history of Australia. And I guess reading this, it did make me think of Dark Emu because there was so much in that book that I was like, wow, I had no idea about that, Mm. that we've missed out on because we're not celebrating our own country's culture. Right. And Dark Emu was a bit dry. Yeah. Whereas this is the opposite of that. Absolutely. I found Della frustrating to begin with, but I grew to understand her and like her as a character by the end oh I found her quite endearing even Mm. though she was frustrated I know what you mean she was frustrating but I yeah found her quite endearing yeah I was going to ask you who do you identify with more Della or Jasmine probably Jasmine Mm. I fluctuated because Della I think seems older than she is because of that she's not um, technically savvy at all yeah so I feel like that makes her seem older but as I was reading it I was thinking she's not that much older than I am I don't think yeah well I don't know how Jasmine is meant to be yeah I got the feeling she was maybe like late 20s yeah so Mm. yeah Della wouldn't be much older than us yeah because she had her when she was 19 or something something. she was the youngest yeah yeah I felt growth 
within each of the characters of the book and I really liked that. I liked yes. It wasn't hammering the point home but the author let the reader experience the growth a lot and the realisations along with the characters. I thought that was a, it was a gentle growth. Yes. You know, it wasn't you – know, some books you read, you know, there's plot, 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 plot and then like the last third of the book is like, oh, I've really learnt my lesson now mm. because of all of that. This was a, a, a slow burn through the whole whole book. Yeah, I liked that. It was fantastic character development, I mm. thought. And yeah, you're right. And it was handled very deftly. Like you don't even realize it. It just happens. Yeah. And just rolls out so beautifully. Yeah. I realized that it's been a while since I've enjoyed a book as much as I enjoyed this oh, one. And so I nice. felt like I really needed it. Yeah. Um, I was really, really happy we read oh, it. Oh, that's nice. Just a couple of points. Something that happened in this book a lot with the people on the tour, like the side characters in mm. particular, do you know anyone in real life that can actually quote <laughs> classical pieces of writing off the top of their head? This is not the first time you've mentioned I know. this. This it's annoys a, you. It does. Because <laughs> is that a trope? Is that a movie trope that, oh, it's like when, you know, Austin said blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, you know, and it's quite ironic that you just quoted someone just before, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not sprouting Shakespeare. Out the last the work time you room. said this, I went tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow <laughs> creeps at this petty pace. <laughs> You're proving me That's wrong. That's the only one I know, though. <laughs> I'm going to keep rolling it out every time you make this point. <laughs> um, a couple of other things I loved about this book. I loved that there's a reading list at the end of the oh, book. Oh, yes. I loved that there is a self guided, there's a list of notes on the literary tour that you could actually go and do the tour yourself, yes. which I think is just, I don't know, those little added extras just make it such a great book. And then didn't you love the author's note at the very end where she said, I did the literary tour with Michael Lavarch. He proposed at the end of the trip. Oh, how romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and you're reading it thinking she must have actually done this tour. And of course of she course. has. Yeah. I mean, if there's ever a reason to be a writer... <laughs> to do that sort of research would be just fabulous. Yes. Well, that was a that was a hit. It was a hit. That was your find, Jane. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we talk about other books yes, we've please. read? Yes. You go for it. Okay, so I did something interesting this month, which I've been telling everybody who will listen <laughs> about. I read two books this month, but what I did was I listened to the book, like the e-audio, as well as reading the actual book. Not at the same time. Lots of people think, oh, like a learning to read kind of situation. No. <laughs> like I'd be in the car mm. and listen to a few chapters and then I'd pick up where the audio left off when I get home and yep. read the book. That's how I read Becoming. It was great. Yeah. Mm. I'm, going, I'm doing it again. I started another one this morning that I have mm. the actual book of and I'm going to listen to it as well. But don't, don't you struggle to find where you got up to or anything like that? Well... No, because I try to finish, like if I'm reading the actual book, I'll finish at a chapter mm, okay. and then I can just skip through to chapter six or whatever. And it works quite well. It's like speed reading, but not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you can whip through these books mm. and get through them. And it's helped me a couple of books of these, both of these books actually, I had picked up to try and read and I just couldn't, ugh, couldn't get into it mm. because I listened to the first chapter for each of them. Mm. I got into it and then I picked it up and like was quite keen to keep reading. Okay. So, anyway, so the two books were The French Gift by Kirsty Manning and The Long, Long Afternoon by Inga Vesper. The French Gift by Kirsty Manning. I've read all of her books. 
She is a historical fiction writer. This one's set in World War Two, which I know Paul has already <laughs> got a face about. It's a story of female friendship, loss and sacrifice. So it's set in 1940 in the Riviera and then it flips back between the present day. I'm not going to go too much into the storyline because it's it's kind of complex. It's one of those tricky ones to kind of explain without talking about it for 10 minutes. Mm. But it flips between the two time periods and it's told from um, the perspective of Margot Bisset, Evie Black and Josephine Morant. So there you're getting those three perspectives. The thing about Kirstie Manning I like is that she weaves a bit of mystery into historical fiction novels. She always bases her stories on some something she's seen or it's an element of truth. So this mm. one's based on or inspired by the French resistance fighter Agnes Humbert. And so that's what planted the seed for this story. Light, super easy, historical fiction, very escapist. She always writes with a bit of glamour. Mm. She writes long, gratuitous paragraphs about food, which that's I love. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of intrigue and lots of lovely imagery. So that was quite a good book. The Long, Long Afternoon by Inga Vesper. I think I showed you this cover ages ago. Mm. I 100% chose it because I <laughs> loved the cover. It's like a... Um, 50s kitchen so the the premise of the story is set in the summer of 1959 in the affluent suburb of sunny lakes in california Mm. housewife joyce haney she vanishes from their home leaving two frightened children and a huge big blood stain (gasps) on the kitchen floor so the cover is this 50s kitchen and then a big like it's an illustrated and a big blood stain on the floor it's really cool all right Do you choose your wines by the wine label as well? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) The first officers on the scene arrest their black maid, Ruby. So this story, again, is told in alternating points of view. So Ruby Wright, the maid who was arrested, Mick Blank, who is the lead detective, and then also Joyce Haney, who's the the vanished housewife. So there's lots of themes of class structure, racism, misogyny. They're all weaved through this very kind of pulpy mystery. And because I listened to this partially as an audio book, it almost sounds like a stereotypical detective story from the 50s. Right. It's kind of cool. But it also kind of reminds me of The Help. Is there like an element of... Uh, or it's not... Is it in the South? No. No. You said California. California. Right. No, I could... Yeah, it's... Some of those class things, definitely. Yeah, Lots of reviews describe this novel as being very atmospheric, Mm. uh, which I totally agree with. It captures the very quiet, perfectly maintained streets of a suburb in America, the summer heat, the listless boredom of being a 50s housewife. Mm. I really enjoyed it. I don't think it'll be for everybody, but you have to lean into the the pulpy nature of it. Okay. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. You don't yeah. take it too seriously. Okay. Sounds so that's good. That's what I read. Yeah. Well, I finally oh. finished Atomic Habits by James Clear. <laughs> You've been reading that for I so know, long. I know. I started and stopped. I it's funny you mentioned <laughs> that about the ebook and the and the yeah. real book. So I started with the audio book, then I got the real one and then I had to hand it back. I kept running out of time because it's very heavily yeah, it's uh, very reserved. Popular. It's very popular. But I finally finished it on the audio version. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe I talked about it at the beginning of the year, but it's a book about making small changes to your habits to achieve your goals. And I'm not sure that there's anything particularly revelatory in this book, Mm. but I just feel like it's a good reminder to get you on track for what you can easily do every day. And I feel like this is the sort of book that you could read a few times 
Yeah, I read really it. Get those. When did I read it? I read it at the beginning of the year as well. I can't remember if I talked about it on here, but I think at the time I might have said this is something I'll need to go back to again. Yeah, for I a definitely reminder. feel that way. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. the I need the, like the crib notes for it. Just the, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so I also read two books. The other book I read was Now That I See You by Emma Batchelor. And I feel like I got to put out a warning right away that I'm going to be super mean and judgy about this book, but I totally hate read it. (laughs) Totally hate read it. I got onto this after we read Detransition Baby, which was a book that we both enjoyed and Mm -hmm. learned a lot from about, among other things, a trans woman detransitioning back to living as a man. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is from the perspective of the partner of a man transitioning to living as a trans woman. Is it fiction? It's fiction, but I think that it's based on what's happened to her. I just changed her name from Anne to Annie or something. (laughs) I think think she's actually Emma in the book. So this is from the perspective of the wife. So this is like as if Stephen decided he's going to be a woman now. Oh, okay. That's Jane's husband. <laughs> didn't detransition, just transition. No, it's just transitioning. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the Chris Jenner, if you will. Yes. Okay. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yes. So I thought that sounded really interesting mm. and like an important story and a perspective that we haven't heard before, or certainly I haven't heard before. And I started it and found the main character so unlikable and annoying. Mm. And I was going to just thought, Nah, this isn't for me. I'm going to leave it. But then I was looking online and it won a Vogel Award, which is a literary award for young writers. And it had lots of really great reviews. So I thought, okay, no, Mm. I'll stick with it. Also, it's described on the cover as being, quote, a psychological masterclass in exploring why and how we become who we are. I mean, that's a big call. Psychological masterclass. Masterclass. It, I was I persevered and I was really disappointed. It's a series of diary entries that I found to be very mundane. Mm. I don't understand the literary merit that made it win a Vogel Award. Mm. And the main character just seemed like she was trying so hard to be a quote-unquote good person while it seemed really obvious that she was just feeling extremely sorry for herself. Yeah. Like the whole time she was just like stamping her feet saying, this mm. is really unfair. Mm. <laughs> I don't Which know. is valid too. But oh, don't, totally valid. But, but don't, don't pretend not to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I feel like perhaps this book was given this award purely because the idea of this story being elevated seems like a good mm. idea because it's a fairly unique perspective, mm. but the actual execution of it, I found totally frustrating. So yeah, oh. that was a big... Did you read that or listen to it? I read it. Mm. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. Boo hiss. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're going to tell us what's coming out. Okay, sure. Uh, I only picked out two that stood out to me. Both Penguin books, both out early August. One is called 12 Bites, and that's B-Y-T-E-S, by Jeanette Winterson. 12 Bites, 12 eye-opening, mind-expanding, funny and provocative essays on the implications of artificial intelligence for the way we live and the way we love. Jeanette Winterson looks to history, religion, myth, literature, politics and race and gender and, of course, computing science to help us understand the radical changes to the way we live and love that are happening now. Mm, that Ooh. sounds very on yeah. point. Yes. Yeah. Because I think some of this stuff's maybe a little bit closer than what 
us like non-techie people just, just average, average yeah. people around the place i think it definitely feels like that and another one you know michelle laurie she's on she's a comedian and i think she she might be like sometimes on that show have you been paying attention or she might be on the project or okay. like just you know commentating on things anyway she's written a book on true crime Oh. Called and because she also has she's the host of Australian True Crime podcast. Have you oh, heard of that? Yes. Yeah, I thought you might have. So she's the host of that, and she speaks to the forensic pathologists, homicide detectives, defence barristers, and victims' families in this gripping study of violent crime and natural disaster. It's oh. called it's called CSI Told You Lies. It's a surprisingly moving account of the real forensic pathologists at the front line of Australia's major crime and disaster investigations. Oh, that sounds like one for me. Doesn't that sound good? Mm. That sounds really interesting. Then the tagline is giving victims a voice through forensics. Mm. So there too, that piqued my interest. Nice. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So... Let's do literary news. Yes, please. I'm sure you've seen that Prince Harry announced late last month that he will be publishing a book with Penguin Random House. Mm-hmm. And what's it called again? Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if we know a title. Here, I'll Google it. Okay. It's called like, you know, A Prince's Journey or something Oh, like that, that sounds right. <laughs> I think that's right. Okay, I don't think it has a title yet, but Jane's decided that it should be called A Princess Journey. So, Harry, if you're listening, (laughs) there you go. You're welcome. Jane's written the title for you already. (laughs) So, this is a quote from Harry. He said, I'm writing this not as the prince I was born, but as the man I have become. He said in a statement, I've worn many hats over the years, both literally and figuratively, and my hope is that in telling my story, the highs and lows, the mistakes, the lessons learned, I can help show that no matter where we come from, we have more in common than we think. So, what do you think about that then? Well, that was my question for you. (laughs) I actually had a conversation about this with some girlfriends the other day. Oh. We often text each other, what do you think of this? Mm. And we all agree, too soon... Oh, not the right timing and possibly not a good move. Right. Why? Just because the climate at the moment's a little bit anti Meghan and Harry. Yeah, they are polarizing figures. Mm, I'm not I'm not anti them. No, I think, you know, whatever. Great. I'm not anti them at all. And in fact, I listened to Harry on, I don't know if you ever listened to Dax Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert. No, but I did see he interviewed him. Yeah. I mean, he gets amazing guests. Doesn't he? Like crazy, crazy, including Harry. And he was so lovely. And I was completely charmed by him. Yeah. And I, like, I didn't understand what you just said about how people are not not mm. I mean I did understand that I see the news like I see yeah. all the stuff that comes out but I mentioned he and Megan to my sister who is quite a bit more conservative mm. than I am and she was like Ugh, I'm so over them yeah <laughs> and yeah. I was like oh is it okay. too much of them are they yeah too... maybe it's too much yeah you know they've got this Netflix thing with Oprah is it with Oprah the n- yeah, is it on Netflix? I don't know. I might I have made think, that up. No, I don't think it is on Netflix. I think it's on and her on own or whatever. Oh yeah, you might be right on Apple TV. Oh, maybe I can watch it now. Actually, I have that. <laughs> that um, was an excited face. That was <laughs> totally. I just realised. Yeah, I think people are sick. Is of there them. fatigue about them? I don't know. I mean, what do you do if you're them, though? They just, the media are going to always try and portray yeah. them in a negative light, and they, yeah. now they have to make a living. I don't know, they've got to make some bucks. That's right. 
you know. So, yeah, 2022, I believe, is when that's coming Maybe out. Maybe we'll so. read it. Yeah. For the podcast. Let's do it. Well, we'll Let's see what it is. Slot it in. If it's called A Prince's, a Prince's Journey, Journey, then we'll read it. 2022. <laughs> Uh, the other news that I'm going to mention is that the Booker Longlist was announced at the end of this, sorry, at the end of last month. Yeah. And two books that we've mentioned here on the pod made the list. One of them is Clara and the Sun mm-hmm. by Kazuo Ishiguro. That's about the AI, the one that I didn't love. But anyway, that's on there. <laughs> what do I know? And the other one is No One Is Talking About This, that Jane mm. mentioned a couple of months ago, maybe, by Tr- Patricia Lockwood. Oh, yes. That's been described as irreverent and sincere, poignant and delightfully profane. Wow. I thought, I delightfully that, profane. I know. That's Does, cool. Doesn't that make you want to read it? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I read that and thought, yep, putting that on hold. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't really heard of many of the other on the long list, no. though, had we? No, I didn't really recognize no. any of the other ones, so we'll see. Let's announce our book for next month, which is Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It's going to be fun. Don't you see this everywhere? Yeah, Like really. everywhere. Yeah. She wrote Daisy Jones and the Six, which was also super popular, and I feel like a lot of the hype about this book is, you know, to do with the popularity of Daisy Jones and the Six. But anyway, here is a little blurb. Malibu, August 1983. It's the day of Nina Riva's annual end of summer party, and anticipation is at a fever pitch. Everyone wants to be around the famous Rivas. Nina, the talented surfer and supermodel, brothers Jay and Hud, one a championship surfer, the other a renowned photographer, and their adored baby sister Kit. Together, the siblings are a source of fascination in Malibu and the world over, especially as the offspring of the legendary singer Mick Riva. By midnight, the party will be completely out of control. By morning, the Riva mansion will have gone up in flames. But before that first spark in the early hours before dawn, the alcohol will flow, the music will play, and the loves and secrets that shaped this family's generations will all come bubbling to the surface. Malibu Rising is a story about one unforgettable night in the life of a family, the night they each have to choose what they will keep from the people who made them and what they will leave behind. I'm really looking forward to this. Yes. It's, quote, a literal beach read with the depth of the ocean. Yes. (laughs) That sounds great. That sounds like (laughs) just what we want. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to that. Yes, me too. We've got copies in the system. So place your holds and, of course, do all the things. Subscribe, like, join the Facebook group. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. It's the worst that could happen. We hate it redo the whole thing or that i have done something wrong and it doesn't get recorded well that's happened before and that was fun <laughs> we just did it again now how did we do this so how did we decide jokes. <laughs> they were funny both times <laughs> to us anyway <laughs>